Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin', brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author and Grammy Award-winning musician Jeff Tweedy. He is the frontman for the band Wilco, who released a murderer's row of albums in Summer Teeth, Being There, Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot, A Ghost is Born, and Sky Blue Sky, not to mention latter-day classics like The Whole Love, Schmilko, and Ode to Joy. His new album is Love is the King, and his new book is How to Write One Song, which is published by our friends at Dutton, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And Jeff, I finished reading this book on this past Tuesday night as the election results were pouring in. Uh, We're recording here on Thursday, November 12th. And despite what was happening with the election at the time, I was having this extremely positive experience because of your book and your words. This is a very uplifting book. And I feel like there is a trend of positivity and joy coming from your work lately. I allude not only to this book, but to your recent album, Love is the King. Wilco's most recent album, Ode to joy which features the song love is everywhere have you jeff made a conscious effort to throw these rays of light in these moments of positivity into a world and specifically a country that is experiencing some pretty dark times um yeah i I mean i don't know if it's conscious or if it's just something that i feel like i've always tried to express um because of my relationship with music being uh, like a, it's a, it's my consolation. It's been like the sustaining consolation in my life is uh, having other people's records and other people's songs. And, and so I think that that is just a, uh, an elemental way that I, I look at how music works and it tends to be, I guess maybe emphasized a little bit more during these last few years, this period where um, I feel like I need that consolation more. And if I need it more, I would assume that maybe other people do too. Yeah, right on. Thank you very much. And um, this book, How to Write One Song, is wonderful. It is a bestseller here in Raleigh at Quail Ridge Books. And you write of this book, in chapter 18, quote, I decided to write this book because I truly believe that, at the very least, if you can unburden yourself of your more judgmental and discerning self with some regularity, you will have a better life, end quote. Uh, Jeff, can you talk about this thought and expand upon how it inspired you to write this book? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 I flirt with the edge of a self-help guru on this book, in this book a little bit from time to time. But I do believe that we waste a lot of our, our energy uh, judging ourselves and being unkind to ourselves. I don't think that that's uh, a, a controversial statement at all. I think um, we, we tend to be much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. We don't give ourselves some of the same forgivenesses that we would other, we would other people. And then I also think that we, we, um, we deny ourselves some joy from time to time. Um, and I, I think that that all plays into how people kind of, uh, suppress their creative urges. And, 
one of my my theories is is that it's not so much that you fear that you're going to make something bad it's a fear that you're going to make something that you like or you love and that someone else is going to come around and tell you that it's bad or talk you out of loving it and i think it's it's one of the sad things about humans is that we do that and we can be talked out of loving something that we've made and we can be talked out of um our feelings uh and um i just i look at a lot of what i do psychologically as an artist as uh basically prep work to be creative is to get around that fear of being told that uh, I shouldn't like something I like or love something I love. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. And I have read a lot lately about the value of doing art for art's sake, whether it is songwriting, painting, drawing, uh, writing, whatever it may be. We live in a heavily capitalistic society where a lot of folks are put off of practicing art because they can't have a career in art or be successful or win at art. Can you talk a little about the value as an adult of losing yourself in an artistic endeavor, even if you may never turn the time you spent on that endeavor into capital or fame? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that... Uh... We, we tend to distract ourselves with other people's imaginations a lot. We tend to look outside of our, our we, t all, we all seem to need some distraction, some entertainment, some uh, period of, of, of mindless, mindlessness or being free of ourselves. Um, and we did tend to do that with, with TV and, and apps and all kinds of different things. Um, but I think that you get a lot more benefit out of having those same moments of being unburdened by your, yourself, your sense of self, uh, by participating actively with your creative spirit, your, like your own imagination and your own, um, you know, that side of your brain that has been taught, you've been taught is sort of frivolous um, and not as important as your critical thinking or something like that. But, but, it, but it's, it's very important. And I would argue that if people think that they don't have that or they don't have those kinds of imaginations or creativity, I would remind everyone that we're, we're improvising all day long, every single one of us. We, if we weren't, we would always be lost. We wouldn't be able to find our way home. We wouldn't be able to, you know, you're, you improvise your conversations with your, with your coworkers, with your friends. We improvise constantly. And the only difference uh, that I'm suggesting is that you do that intentionally with some uh, awareness that that's what you're participating in. All right, thank you so much, Jeff. At the beginning of this book, you talk about how it can be soul crushing at any job to aspire to be something versus being driven by what you want to do. Um, can you please elaborate on this concept and differentiate these ideas, aspiring to be and wanting to do from one another? Well, um, I just think that 
the notion to me at least of being something is a lot more abstract than uh the reality of what it is that you're actually doing or want to do um uh there isn't a songwriter a definitive songwriter i mean you could look at somebody that you admire or something and you could call that the the ideal like a bob dylan or leonard cohen or something like that but you're never going to be them obviously um and the fact is that they aren't even what you <laughs> what you would picture them to be i i really doubt uh there's a uh it's just I, it's too abstract for me to even wrap my head around that idea of like being something. I think it's hard to be a human. <laughs> it's hard to understand being anything. Um, but it's much simpler to me and a helpful, it's helpful for it to be simpler to think about what it is that I'm doing, what it is I'd, I love to do, what it is that I would like to try to do. And, and, uh, focus my energy on that more than uh, a label or a name or some a desire for status or uh, whatever whatever you get out of being called something. Right. Thank you so much. And Jeff, before we go into our break, I want to ask you about another quote. You write about the creative process. Learning how to disappear is the best way I've found to make my true self visible to myself and others. Can you tell us about a moment when you have experienced this bliss of losing yourself in the moment of artistic creation? And as an addendum to this question, are there any books or albums you would recommend as an adult who is sort of set in their uh, ways to listen or encourage this abolishment of one's ego during the creative process? It's a hard thing to describe, and I think I spent most of my book trying to describe this this concept of, of simultaneously disappearing and uh, a truer sense of self appearing in its place. Um, um, but mostly, it has to do with time, and and I can tell you, I don't know if I can make a specific. Um, anecdote out of it but I, I can tell you that that disappears all the time for me when I'm using a lot of the processes that are described in the book I I set out to work on something and I look up and the clock has moved in a startling manner you know like it's gone uh, like an hour and a half or two hours or three hours or have just disappeared and I I associate myself with time I guess I I, I measure myself in time and so when that disappears, I feel like a certain part of my uh, myself disappeared with it. And it's it, and it's very, very uh, cleansing to feel that um, unburdened, you know, being unburdened by that. Uh, I just as far as like recommending, you know, music that you could uh used to shake, your, shake yourself out of some sort of being, uh, whatever, stasis. Gosh, I mean, we live in a time where you can go on the internet and find almost anything that's ever been recorded. You could go to uh, com and listen to 
you know, concrete poetry being read from the 1930s and 40s. Or there's there's so much esoteric stuff out there to shake you out of your your preconceived preconceived ideas. Um, but even beyond that, you know, like uh, you could. Uh, listen to a record that you know is in a genre that you don't normally listen to i like put on a heavy metal record if you mostly listen to hip-hop uh, I, I don't know i just think all of that is really good for you to just even if you don't necessarily like it to just try and contemplate what it takes to make those things you know what 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 the consciousness on the other side of that has gone through to to accomplish that and it's it's incredible when you think about things in those terms right thank you so much listeners we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor and then i will be right back with jeff tweedy the book and podcast is sponsored by libro fm audiobooks libro fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Jeff Tweedy, author of How to Write One Song, which is published by our friends at Dutton, an imprint of Penguin Random House. Jeff, can you talk about people who are afraid to pursue the possibility of writing a song because they don't have time? You mentioned that you find this hard to believe, especially when you see how much time people spend on their phones. How do you recommend someone approach the reconfiguration of their ideas regarding the availability of their time? Uh, well, I think that uh, people assume that there's an ideal amount of time to make the song that they want to make. And I argue that you can make a song in whatever time you have, you know? Uh, and the, the, the problem isn't the time, the problem is, is what you're asking of that time. If you're asking to write like the world's greatest uh, sonata <laughs> or something like that, and you only have a, a half an hour, uh, that's probably pretty un unrealistic. But if you free your mind to be okay with whatever you come up with in a half an hour, you always have time, or five minutes even. Um, you could improvise for whatever amount of time you have. If you can play an instrument, you could... Uh, you know, maybe a lot of people don't feel like they've gotten to the point where they're adept enough with their or con conversant enough with their instrument to improvise. But I, uh, it's never stopped me. <laughs> and I'm not like I'm not a virtuoso. I I just think that 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 in itself can be very uh, liberating. Um, and I, and I think it, and I think it cascades out of those moments. It tends to into 
longer sessions where you feel like you uh, basically broke open a little bit more time to to focus on this thing that's sustaining you somehow. Right. Thank you, Jeff. Um, one thing you recommend later in this book is don't be yourself. And you quote Woody Guthrie, who says, write what you know, but then you acknowledge that we haven't all lived lives as rich as Woody's. Regarding writing what you don't know, there is a moving passage about your writing of the album, A Ghost is Born. Uh, during this time, you were struggling with addiction, but you had the desire, you write, for your boys, Sammy and Spencer, to know you as the person you truly were and not the person you happened to have become. My question about this passage is, in what way was writing as the person who you truly were, not the person you had become writing as someone other than yourself? <laughs> um, well, I just, I just think that it, it, you can use these mental exercises to um, shape shift or put yourself in the, from the, in a, in another person's perspe perspective or another thing's perspective and an animal or whatever you can, I, I think it's a, it's a really important thing to uh, nurture as an ability to try and get out of your shoes and, and, and imagine what the world would look like from someone else's shoes or from some other point of view. But I don't think that it ever is anything else but you. And, and, but I do think that giving yourself that, that, um, uh, that disguise or that, that, that cover can, um, uh, uninhibit you perhaps from making some truer statements about yourself or some some insights or judgments that you maybe would feel less comfortable uh, stating directly from your mouth from your point of view <laughs> and and that's what I've found I've found that when I the further away I go from what I perceive as myself um, the uh, the more direct a lot of the things become in terms of how I'm really re reflecting my in, my innermost feelings. Right. Thank you. And I was fascinated to learn, by the way, that the song Company in My Back was written from the perspective of an ant at a picnic. Now it all, <laughs> now it all comes together. Um, I want to ask you about another way of being someone other than yourself and writing a song. You write about Don't Forget the Flowers, uh, about how you were hearing Johnny Cash in your head as you were writing this song. I've written a song called Guitar that I wrote hearing the voice of Jeff Tweedy in my head as I was writing the song. It's a valuable tool to have in your arsenal as a songwriter, but how do you then, Jeff, go on to make the song, Don't Forget the Flowers in this case, your own, without slipping into a baritone and channeling Johnny Cash every time you perform it? Um... Well, it's hard. I still, I still sort of, I still sort of hear Johnny Cash when I sing "Forget the Flowers," but, um, but it, but it is me, and and uh, it feels really good when I crack through that. Uh, I don't know that mental barrier I might have put up in 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 uh, in my way. Um, uh, that's that's the point in the book, though, is that even even when you do write um, with someone else's voice in mind, it can be sort of a similar 
exercise to what I was describing before about just putting yourself in a different, you know, space and, and different point of view. Um, it can it can free you up to just you know kind of pour things out with a little bit less inhibition, but um, uh, that's interesting. I I uh, <laughs> I I don't know. It, it I just I guess the answer is that I don't think you can ever truly be those things. You know, so um, it's it's just an exercise. Right. Thank you, Jeff. Um, finally, I'm hoping you can leave us with some words about the importance of developing persistence in the face of hardship as a habit versus defaulting towards giving up in the face of a task that was harder than you imagined it would be? Um, well, in my, ex my experience, I have had, you know, despairing moments, very uh, uh, profound, hopeless hopelessness depression anxiety moments where i was locked inside time to the degree where i felt like it would always be like this and never ever get better and um and i still feel those things from time to time uh sometimes these days they're a lot more rational because there's some dystopian <laughs> imagery coming through to me and it's not just purely bio biological and maybe it never was purely biological but but um it's a rational response to some things that are pretty depressing sometimes and um the biggest key to me is always to to figure out what the next right thing to do is and in a lot of cases for me the next right thing to do is uh take a walk uh, bathe myself <laughs> eat you know they tend to be very simple things and when i can recenter myself on what the next right thing to do is uh those moments tend to pull me out of those uh, darker spaces into some uh, slightly brighter world where I have some energy to create to work and and then when I can get myself there uh, then all of the things that console me and have sustained me for my entire life uh, tend to work their magic but there are times where it is very very hard to pick up the guitar or to want to write or do things that I know are good for me because it's it feels very very dark and hopeless and and um, I would always recommend to anybody that has those feelings that you can assess what the next right thing to do even if the next right thing to do is go to bed <laughs> you know um, uh, in the old days before I got healthy uh, well the next thing I did was not the right thing in a lot of cases. The next thing I did was try to numb myself to those feelings or, um, you know, it just, there were, I was compelled to do a lot of things without realizing I had a choice. Um, uh, like any addict, I guess you have to learn how to recognize those moments where you have a choice. But, you know, it's really, really the simplest advice I can ever give. I give it to my kids all the time. Well, what's the next, what's the next right thing that you can do? And um, they hate it when I say it sometimes because <laughs> they know I'm going to say it. 
but but it works and they 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 know it works too and 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 um you know next thing i know i see see one of them and they've taken a shower and they're they're hanging out with their friends on the computer and they've they've sort of figured it out Thanks, Jeff. That's great advice. And I will pass that on to my four-year-old son, Ben, for sure. Um, Thank you for writing this wonderful book. It really is a treasure. And I cannot imagine that any of our listeners will purchase it, read it, and put the book down with anything less than feelings of optimism and gratitude. Listeners, I've been speaking with Jeff Tweedy, author of How to Write One Song, published by our friends at Dutton, an imprint of Penguin Random House. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Once again, I would like to thank Jeff Tweedy for joining me. Copies of How to Write One Song can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.